This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We're learning all new words and all new things here today, Hillary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, when you discover something that really works uh, to solve a problem in your life, you grab onto that thing and try not to let go. That's how uh, Glenn and I both feel about uh, Rough Greens. And uh, especially, you know, I have President Miles, my dog, who is 147,000 years old at this point. I had, to, I had to build a little ramp down from the door because he can't step down like the four inch gap anymore because he's, he's very old. And, it, you know, but here's the thing. The guy uh, is 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 really pepped up his step a little bit, and you might not notice that if you've never seen President Miles. But he moves. He went from very very slow to slightly less slow, and that's a big difference. Uh, and I think you know at least a good chunk of that is because of Rough Greens. Rough Greens is, is a supplement that you sprinkle on the dog food, and dogs love it. Uh, they love it right out of the gate. They just want to eat it because they like it. But it helps to get them all the nutrients and stuff that they need in their dog food. Uh, right now, you can get a free trial bag of Rough Greens for your dog to try out. All you have to do is pay free shipping alright so you can pay the shipping but the bag is free roughgreens.com slash becker 833-GLEN-33 it's 833-G-L-E-N-N-33 call today Stu in for Glenn today. Poor little baby lost his voice last night and he can't talk. Isn't that so sad? And the best part is, no matter what I say about him today, he can't do anything about it. So it's going to be a fun day. Triple eight seven twenty seven Beck is our number. We'll go through what happened in Georgia last night, and we're going to start with American manufacturing, uh, supply chains, China. A lot of things we've learned all too much about over the past couple of years. We'll get into that here in just a second. We've talked about the uh, the Tuttle Twins books for a while now, and I can't tell you how much I love these books. I have two kids, uh, 9 and 11 years old, and the books that they often get are they're just not, they're, tr- they're trash, basically. The Tuttle Twins books are a totally different approach because they're teaching really important foundational lessons to your kids through fun and amazing stories that they really love. Things about like how to build a business is kind of, in the middle of a book that they really love a story and they want you to read it to them over and over again and they're learning important things Uh, the true founding of america how free markets work how big government will always become oppressive eventually now there's only a few uh, days left to order these books before the shipping deadline for the holidays if you want to get them before christmas do not wait go to tuttletwinsbeck.com get these books these just great books for your kids 
It really makes a difference. You need to order soon to beat the shipping deadline. Don't wait. TuttleTwinsBeck.com. It's TuttleTwinsBeck.com. So I want to bring in uh, Bayard Winthrop. Uh, this is a really interesting conversation. I can't wait to talk to you, Bayard. Th- th- thanks so much for coming in, by the way. Thanks for having me. Uh, you flew in from San Francisco. Last night. <laughs> did they Did they make you, do you have to have a passport now to get into you Texas? Yet. No, 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 it's still a still free flight. <laughs> <laughs> good, that's good to hear. Uh, you run American Giant. Uh, this is a company we've talked about for a while here on the on the show, and we've you know uh, been really impressed. I, as just a selfish person, just really like your hoodies. Uh, so that's uh, that's something totally separate uh, from what you do. But you you run a company, and you uh, you manufacture clothing, and this used to be sort of a foundational part of America. It was something that right. uh, I don't know. It's how the country was built. And more and more as we go on, we hear all the time, you can't do it anymore. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You can't have, um, you can't make your clothes and source everything in America and all those difficult steps. You can't have Americans build, make the clothes, certainly, because it's impossible. Yet you you seem to do it. First of all, how do you do it? Uh, and secondly, why did you think that was important? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's easy to forget now, but 40 years ago, about 95%, more than 95% of the clothes that we bought were made in in, uh, in America, which is hard to believe today because the numbers are almost flipped. Yeah. And, and, I, and in some ways, as, as you're sort of mentioning, it, it, that's the trajectory of manufacturing generally, that we've, we have deprioritized the making of things in the U.S. over the last 40 years. And... and I've been involved in manufacturing consumer products for most of my career. And if you spend enough time doing that, and I too sort of participated in a lot of the offshoring stuff, and you do it, and and eventually, I think two things begin to become really clear. One is you get really disconnected from the product you make. And Mm. and that, I think, particularly for me, translated into um, a lack of... uh, uh, proximity to it, stewardship about it, um, intimacy about the product that we were making, and, and that was super important to me. But just as importantly, you see the, the the factories and the towns that you're leaving. And my point of view is that that's happened too much over the last 40 years, that, that there's a lot of communities, urban and rural, that need good, viable, dignified jobs. And um, we've made a decision to shift too much of that stuff overseas. And, and I, I felt we could do something about it in, in apparel. It was, it was a relatively... <clears throat> easy thing to, to reshore and to, and to make domestically. And so I decided it's something I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't know if it would be a big business or not, but I knew it was a kind of business that I wanted to run. So made that decision about 10 years ago and started the company. It's interesting because I think over the last couple of years, we have learned way too much about your business. I don't want to know. I don't want right. to know that much about your business. I want other people to do that. Right. Like I, I've got enough to worry about in my life, but we've learned so much about supply chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhat infamously, I bought a car in August 2021 that just showed up a few weeks ago. Right, It was for over 14 months yeah. waiting for a car to show up. I think one of the interesting parts about trying to manufacture something here in America is not just what might happen to your employees. Mm-hmm. It goes down the line. Mm-hmm. Like these, this, this sort of stuff affects people all over the country in all sorts of different lines of yep. work. How, how do you? How do you? When you? When you step back, how do you think about that? Well, it, what's interesting about what you just said is is that you know I think as we've become disconnected from the people and the places that make things, you really do begin to take for granted uh, what it, all the skill and talent and complexity that goes into the making of the things that we consume. Um, and it, my feeling is that we have gotten to a place where we order something online, it arrives on our doorstep a couple of days later, and and when that breaks, that highly complicated supply chain breaks, 
uh, bad things happen. And, and, <laughs> and I think that there's, there is the, to me, there is a, a real importance with reconnecting us back to how we make things and what goes into making a car or a sweatshirt for that matter. Um, they're complicated things. They, they're, and, and, the, and the, the symphony of activity that has to come together to make that happen is remarkable. And to me, there's an importance of having a lot of that back and closer to consumers so they understand uh, what goes into making those things and uh, the position we've gotten ourselves in with this highly complicated, really fragile supply chain that's got us dependent on, you know, borders and tankers and oceans and, and, uh, and international relationships that all get pretty difficult when things don't go precisely as planned. Now, you know, I, we were just talking about the Tubble Twins books a second mm-hmm. ago, and, and uh, they have one about iPencil, the uh, famous uh, economic mm-hmm. uh, essay. And it, it, it's basically the story of how a pencil gets made. And yep. it sounds like the yeah. most boring right. pencil. Right. Who cares? Right. But so many people have right. to be able to do so many things yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. The, the symphony is a really good yeah. word to describe it. Yeah. I mean, the pencil, the, the, the paint, the metal, the, the, the wood, the graphite, all the things that are required to go into that. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, we've got a privilege as a company to to be around that all the time. And it does. It, I don't know. I just there's something very satisfying about you know, reconnecting with the fact that the American workforce and capability is alive and well. Um, we've just sort of abandoned it in a lot of ways by by just chasing, you know, what we call internally cheap and cheapest means of production, um, lowest regulations wherever we possibly can. And in some ways, that's the great irony, right? That we, as a as a country, we've put in place so many fantastic principles about human rights and worker safety and and minimum wage laws and all these things that protect workers and celebrate workers, and yet we let our largest brands skirt those and and go overseas and 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 chase the cheapest means of production with the low Lowest, the lowest regulations and that's a that's that balance has got to get corrected i think yeah, yeah. and it not only affects americans it, it affects people overseas as well i mean I, china is a good example of this right mm-hmm. we've seen you know from a geopolitical sense all the effects that have gone on with china over the over the past few years uh and the you know all you know with covid and, and all of these other things that have gone on um but the manufacturing piece of this is really important, right? We we are sending almost all of our manufacturing mm-hmm. to China and India, mm-hmm. and they don't have standards for their workers. Mm-hmm. We see how they treat the, their own people. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a part th- that we should really be rethinking here, not even just from a, a, a global competition sense, but just from a humanitarian sense? I, I think so. It kind of comes down to you know, whether we believe our values are, are truly universal values or not. And and I think there is an inconsistency with holding domestic manufacturing businesses to very high standards, but then allowing all the uh, the work for those factories uh, chase uh, the means of production elsewhere. And, you know, I think, the, you know, the, 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 case, the case for globalization is a pretty obvious and elegant one if your optimization is around growing shareholder value and, and hitting quarterly earnings reports. It's a lot less clear if you think about constituents beyond just your your quarterly earnings statements, and if you think about um, brands that live through their values, that uh, that employ Americans, that transfer good skills down throughout their their workforce. So I, I think there's a big conversation to have there. I think that we, you know, there's a fascinating thing happening now with textiles in Xinjiang, which is the far uh, western province in China that grows almost all of the Chinese cotton. There's awful things going on there with minority Muslims and forced mm-hmm. labor and. Um, and it's just a good example of apples in the middle of this with their with their the things that are going on with Foxconn. That a good example of businesses that are trying to strike this uncomfortable balance with what they're Instagramming 
about um, versus the way that they're actually making the things that they sell. Right. And I think those, you know, that's that's an, that is an uncomfortable place to be. And I think that we've all got a role to play, right? I mean, consumers have a role to play, brands have a role to play, policymakers have a role to play. But I, I do think we need to come together a little bit and have the conversation around what do we care about. And to, to the extent that we care about it a lot, do we want to apply those standards universally, both to the, the you know our supply chain decisions, our, our trade agreements, our, our what our consumers have access to and understand? Yeah. So I do think it's something that we need to start to think about more thoroughly. We are sort of told that this supply chain thing is not over, that we're going to be facing delays. And this is just kind of our new normal. This is how we're going. This is how it's going to be in America. Now, maybe we should learn to be more like Europe and just ex- expect delays all the time. First of all, I mean, is is that what you're seeing out there? And is that the right way to look at this? Should we just be accepting this new normal? Yeah, I hope not. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a good, it's a good, that's a good pitch for uh, American manufacturing, right? I mean, we've actually been lucky enough to navigate. So we, we make most of the stuff we make are t-shirts and sweatshirts. That's the bulk of our line. We make blue jeans, we make flannel shirts, we make other things. Almost all of that comes through a southeastern supply chain, Carolinas, uh, in that re- that area, from cotton all the way through. Um, so for almost all of the pandemic, we've been able to navigate our supply chain stuff without a hitch. And that's not just proximity and not having to deal with challenges of overseas COVID restrictions and other things. It's also that we've got deep relationships with the the supply chain that we work with. And mm. so uh, we were able to work in real concert with our yarn providers and our, our knitters and our, our spinners and our dyers. And so it's been, you know, I think that's a, a good example of, of some of the importance of having a onshore capability across the manufacturing sector so that you're not so exposed internationally to the 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 uh, the breaks that are inevitably going to continue to come, in my opinion. Yeah, I, it's, it's understandable. And I think it, there's a there's that weird line that I think we all have to walk here because, you know, like I, I have some sympathy for these companies when they say, hey, like we can't pay American workers what you know, what the new, you know, minimum wages even here in the United States. We we can go over there. We can save 80 percent. People need cheap clothing and they need to be able to. And I understand some of that. I have sympathy for uh, at, at some level. But like you can't just abandon the American way of doing things. Mm-hmm. How do you? get to a point where you can pay i mean you you guys pay your employees a a good wage Mm -hmm. and uh, you know we're told that that's just not possible how do you do that and still make a a company work yeah so it's sort of an incomplete conversation right so i get asked a lot about minimum wage jobs and how i think about minimum wage and in my response to that basically is it's it's an incomplete question we all we all want to pay american workers as much as we possibly can right i mean that that's the objective we all want people to be living good dignified lives with good incomes but if at one point we are we are enacting uh, minimum wage laws and raising minimum wages at the same time that we're saying let's all uh, the manufacturers the customers of that manufacturing jobs go overseas and avoid those minimum wage jobs all we're doing is penalizing a domestic workforce ultimately and so I, I think the way you do it is that you begin to think about trading partners through the lens of of people that share our values you know there's there's the current administration talking a little bit about this concept of friend shoring which is in some ways a carry forward from the Trump administration about about doing business with business with countries that share our values and not doing businesses with countries that don't you know if you think about the American marketplace it's the most it's the biggest most valuable marketplace on earth and yet the cost of entry to it is basically zero we, we allow everybody to participate in our in our marketplace and I think that we ought to ask the question whether that's the right thing to do and if you make it so that it is a bit diff- more difficult to avoid what I think are basic American values in your manufacturing choices uh, you're gonna you're gonna encourage reshoring in a way that is going to address the labor question that you're getting at I think really effectively 
Mm. Uh, it's a really interesting question. Do you have a couple more minutes to, yeah. to hang out? All right. Uh, let me take 10 seconds here. Uh, or 60 seconds here to do a, a, a quick uh, break here. Lawrence wrote in about his dog's experience with rough greens. He says, I bought my dog di- many different kinds of supplements over the years. She would eat a little bit of it, but not very much. Usually, she just kind of shied away from it. But when, she comes to, when it comes to rough greens, not only does she eat enthusiastically, but she'll finish by licking the bowl clean. She has more energy now, and it's a treat for her as well. Thank you. Rough Greens is not a dog food. It's a supplement uh, developed by naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black that you sprinkle on the dog food. Chock full of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, antioxidants, you name it. And if it's healthy for your dog, it's probably in Rough Greens. And most dogs love it. They will go crazy for it. I know my dogs do. The folks at Rough Greens are so confident that your dog is going to love it, that they have a special deal going for you right now. Go to roughgreens.com slash Beck, and they're going to give you the uh, first trial bag free. Totally free. All I got to do is pay for shipping. Go to roughgreens.com slash Beck or call them 833-GLEN-33, 833-G-L-E-N-N-33. Give them a call today. 10 seconds, station ID. Talking to Byard Winthrop, uh, he is the uh, he's the big the big wig. What's your official title over there? Uh, owner, found, he, uh, founder, I guess. Ah, you got the big one. The big, <laughs> founder's the best one to have. I think that's the best one to have. Uh, the uh, of American Giant, a great clothing company. If you don't know them, if you've never had one of, the, I mean, look, you're, it's around Christmas, a great time to uh, pick up something from American Giant. Um, and it, I think as you kind of hear as we talk, you have a different perspective on the on the country than I think a lot of these big companies do. Um, is it? How much of this has to be? Because I, I am a. We come in here every day and we talk about issues and and things that really matter to us. And what I think a lot of people uh, engage with is, you know, you have these beliefs about the the country, the foundations, the 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 this that this is a special place. It's an exceptional place. But putting that into practice, really living that life is really hard. Mm-hmm. What do you say to a company that's on the fence here, that's thinking like, hey, maybe I'll pull some of my manufacturing back to the United States. What going? You're the one who's experienced this. What do you say to them? Well, it, it, yeah. So I think a couple of sort of just sort of framing reactions to that. One is for public companies, it's really hard because public mm-hmm. companies are, are in the cycle, like a lot of our elected officials, where they're thinking very short term. They're thinking quarter to quarter to quarter. And quarter mm-hmm. to quarter to quarter, increases in, in labor rates or the cost of thread matters a ton. And so it's a, it's a tall ask for public companies. Private companies, it's a different matter. And I think to, the, to those companies, I think, um, it, to the extent that they can start and begin to use uh, American labor for small parts of uh, their offerings in, across the manufacturing sector, it has a huge impact. We had the benefit in some ways that 10 years ago when I started American Giant, I, I made a decision that we were going to make it all domestically. And that was kind of that was the framework that I lived within. And so that made every decision that followed pretty easy. It became about how do we do that as well and as effectively as we can. Um, for companies that have that used to be domestically made, like basically all apparel companies, and they now have offshore to reshore again, I think there's a, there's a perception that the American workforce and manufacturing capability is, is not there. That's wrong. There's a tremendous mm-hmm. amount, even in textiles, which has been hard, hit the hardest about offshoring, there's a tremendous amount of viability within textiles. Um, and it's a big part of what that industry is lacking are customers that commit to it. And so if you had big brands that said, look, we're, we're going to be here, we're going to order our line of T-shirts or our line of V-neck T-shirts, some small piece, but we're going to stick to it for a while. 
um, that would be a huge boon to manufacturers because these businesses need that reliability. So I think that that's what I would say is try it. Try it with socks. Try it with T-shirts. Try it with something. Um, give the supply chain a shot. Be a part of the solution. Right. Your customers will give you credit for it. They'll mm-hmm. appreciate it. Um, but it's a more complicated question for the for the public companies, I think. And, and, and that's not to say that I think a lot of them are interested in, in being a force for good. But it's just we've created a system that makes it harder to do that. And so um, I think we've got to look at other ways to create space for those businesses to make better decisions. Hmm. Um, we got about a, a minute and a half left here. What's your level of optimism for America? I'm pretty optimistic. Really, I, I have I have trouble. With this I, I am. So, so I hear what you're saying, <laughs> yeah. but but here's why I'm optimistic. Huh. I, I think that there is a growing sense among just the just average Americans that are feeling frustrated with what's going on in D.C. I feel like they're frustrated with what's going on with tech. They're frustrated with going on with, with a lot of the big, in our case, big apparel brands that are making decisions that seem to be self-serving and they're less about the country and less about the average Americans. And I think as people gather their voice and they make decisions about directing their dollars towards things that they care about, they get more active during the election cycles. Uh, I think you're going to see a change. And I, I share some of your pessimism, but it's short-term pessimism for me. It's long-term optimism. I, I just believe in the country, and I believe in our ability. When we're when we're seeing something that we think is nonsense, we eventually throw it out and start fresh. And so I think it's going to take a bit of patience, but I'm feeling optimistic about it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I I think you know when I really think about it from a grand you know, yeah. grand scheme here, like I think in the grand at the end of the day, it, it's a great country. It's still a lot of the great things happen. We've, you know, changed the world, right? That's right. So there's a lot to be optimistic about, but yeah. then I read the news. And so I need to stop doing that. No more news for me. And maybe keep some context around it. Yes. You know, remember that, you know, remember history, remember the Civil War, remember JFK, remember all the yeah. things we've been through that have been so difficult. And this one seems pretty rough, but I do believe that average Americans eventually get fed up enough to act. And I think that's what is required. And I think it's happening right now. I think there's just increasing activity going on that I'm. I'm excited about, and I think uh, I think in, in a weird way, COVID has kind of jarred us all out of our slumber a little bit and got us thinking about more complex issues that are relevant to Americans, and I think people are, are getting conscious about it. So, yeah. It's very true. Mark Winthrop, uh, he's American Giant founder and CEO. You can go uh, check out all their stuff at American-Giant.com. If people are looking for like the uh, the last-minute holiday, well, I guess last-minute holiday gift here, what's 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 the go-to? Well, we're, we're, we're known for a sweatshirt, so we, it was called the greatest hoodie ever made, and that's probably the easiest one. So. <laughs> It is, too. I have one. It's awesome. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah. No, it's great. And it's made by Americans in America. Like, uh, this is actually, a, this is not like a, a new Avatar sequel. This is real. This yeah. is actually happening. North and South Carolina. Uh, very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, Byron Winthrop, it's American-Giant.com. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. Thank really you. Appreciate, appreciate it. you appreciate having me. All right. Uh, we're going to come back with uh, a little bit on the election. We got to get into that, uh, unfortunately, from last night and go through the details. We will uh, we'll get into that here in, in a couple of minutes. And uh, I want to talk to you about uh, about what's going on in the Supreme Court as well. And there's a new uh, a new activist group that has been highlighted by the New York Times and been attacked by the New York Times. You know, when when you get a hit piece in the New York Times, you know you've arrived. That's how this works. Uh, so we'll get into that as well. Triple eight seven twenty seven B E C K. It's Pat and Stu in for Glenn, who's out sick today. We're back here in just a second. The Glenn Beck Program. So, of course, we all remember the terrible day of 9-11. We lost 2,977 people. And over two decades later, which seems impossible that it's been that long, there are still people dying from 9-11 related illnesses. With only two states mandating K-12 to learning about it, we've got a whole generation of kids coming up who know little to nothing about one of our nation's darkest days. 
and a day when the courage of the American spirit uh, really was shining the brightest. That's why the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is so important. It provides educators with nonfiction resources on 9-11 for kids grades K through 12, including scripted social studies lessons and activities. Plus, the Institute has the nonfiction Discovering Heroes book series that accompanies the curriculum. They have a 1,100 square foot mobile museum exhibit touring with 9-11 artifacts, and they're giving out uh, all, all sorts of uh, interesting scholarships for children. Uh, of the program. It's just a great, I mean, look, Tunnel to Towers does great work. They've been helping people affected by this for so long. Will you join them in their mission? Never forget, we must educate future generations. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Don't miss blazetv.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. You'll save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. It's Pat and Stu for Glenn today, who's a little bit under the weather. Lost his voice again, I hear. Yes. Yeah, and I guess for this particular industry, that's that's something that's important. I, I haven't done the Your research voice. on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess you have to have, have one huh. to do shows. Really? Yes. Difficult Why? to do it without. What if you did sign language? Yeah, and I, 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 I mean, that should be okay. It sounds like it would be okay. I don't know Does, why. They say, yeah. the experts, though, say that there's some consensus on, on it. And you're huh. not, you know, I don't know. You, well, you, you know weird. these scientists. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just blow off whatever they say. Exactly. It's always a good, the right thing to do. All right. Uh, we have a, uh, uh, the election last night to, to discuss. Yeah. Because uh, it went about like we expected, really. It did. It did. It seemed like it was basically around where the polls said it would be. Mm-hmm. It was basically around where the last election was. Raphael Warnock f- currently, with over 95% of the vote, tabulated 51.4% of the vote. Herschel Walker, 48.6% of the vote. About 100,000 votes separating mm-hmm. the two candidates. You know, yeah. really the, the runoff game is about turnout. And you see, when you look at the red counties, I mean, you look at the, the counties really across the board, they kind of came out about percentage-wise the same way. I mean, you don't see much of a change. Mm-hmm. What you do see is that the the turnout was a little bit better in, in blue areas than it was in red areas. Mm. It's, but it was really close. It was a really close race the entire time. Democrats outspent Republicans by massive amounts massive amounts there's some it was four to one yeah four to one in spending something like three to one in just whether you'd see an ad or not uh what's incredible is 1.4 billion dollars have been spent on just four races in the state since the beginning of 2020 Mm. one in georgia 1.4 billion dollars i guess we're supposed to give stacy abrams the credit for that but like you spend like that, that, and it's just absolutely incredible. I can't imagine how sick of politics people in Georgia are right now. Oh yeah, I was just watching. Was it Georgia, Georgia, Georgia Tech? I think. And during that broadcast, I don't know. All of the ads were about, and mostly Warnock, but a few Herschel ads too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was sick of it. Just from watching that one game, I can't imagine if you live in Georgia, you must have been so bombarded by that. Well, I mean, I think we all have that like part of the election cycle where we get sick of election ads. Mm -hmm. That happens to everybody. But if you think about Georgia, they had had it twice. They had it here, right? Mm -hmm. With a runoff. They had it in 
November with the main election and the whole lead up to that in yeah. purple at a purple state with really tight elections sort of across the board with the exception maybe of governor. Then remember they also had a runoff in 2021 from the 2020 election. So they've had these four elections mm. since November 2020. Every one of them has been incredibly expensive, nonstop ads all the time. When does normal life come back for these poor people? <laughs> I guess now. I guess this is the beginning of it. Unfortunately, their normal life has Raphael Warnock as their senator. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's look, it's tough. Really, all, uh, all of these, there were several winnable races here that Republicans did not pull off. And, you know, Herschel Walker, I think, for being a first-time candidate did maybe better than expected you know he he was not he wasn't a disaster as far as uh you know the debate went and and, you know he had some of the big scandal stories Mm -hmm. but i don't think that was what turned this election it just it's tough to win in in a in georgia now it's no longer the republican stronghold it once was it probably should be fairly considered a straight purple state at this point and you have to try to you know, find the right candidates for the right markets and maybe a purple state. You got to think a little bit differently as you as you roll your candidates out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, Walker, I think, you know, look, I think he can be proud of, of, of his efforts here. It's just a it's just a really devastating thing that a, a state like Georgia would have such a radical like Raphael Warnock. Sure is. Yeah, they don't deserve that. America doesn't deserve that. Right. But here he is. Uh, he's in, and this time it's for six years instead of two. Yeah. So that hurts. Because I think a lot of people were like, ah, I mean, look, it's 50-50 anyway at the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a, an argument as to why maybe the Republicans didn't win here. I think if the Senate, if the control of the Senate stood on Georgia, let's say they would have picked off another one of these races and it was only 49 seats for Democrats. They needed the 50th. I think War, uh, Walker may have won. Because I think there's a there's an attitude from Republicans where it's like, well, we already lost the Senate. What's the point? Mm-hmm. And of course, the point is the starting uh, starting line for every election here for the next two cycles. You know, we talked about this when it comes to the, when it came to the 2022 election. The starting line in the Senate was 36-29 with Democrats in the lead. Those are all the seats that were not up for election. So they started with a seven seat lead. And of course, with Kamala Harris as the vice president, it's really an eight seed lead, uh, seat yeah. lead. So you yeah. you had they had a lot of ground to pick up to try to c- take control of the Senate. It's why it was so difficult. So now we go into the twenty twenty four campaign. This seat that could have been one that the Republicans had already banked that was going to be in that same mm-hmm. starting line calculation, unfortunately, is now gone. And the same thing with all these other close races, like, you know, Arizona and Pennsylvania and all these races that we've been talking about that the Republicans wound up losing, that's where it really hurts. The 51-seat majority thing will help with committees. It will help give them a little breathing room around, you know, Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema in a, in, a, in a particular vote, maybe. It's not all that important, though, because the Republicans got the House. They can block a lot of those 50-seat bills. Yeah. But the when it comes to judicial nominees, nominees, that's going to be big. Yeah. That's going to be a big one. And yeah. it was why they really needed to win. I'm really worried about you know, the packing of the Supreme Court, like that would be bad. That would be that would be catastrophic. Bad. That would be bad. So <laughs> I'm kind of hoping they don't get around to that. Yeah, I hope they don't. The filibuster thing, I, they theoretically still don't have the votes for because right, they needed. It wasn't a one seat. Do they situation. eliminate the filibuster? Yeah, right. They could. 
Good. Uh, they don't currently have the votes for it, but, you know, I always say this to people. If you are sitting back and saying, you know what, Joe Manchin will save us. You are really playing with fire because Joe Manchin will not save you. No, he will not. There were two bills, two bills that the the uh, Democrats wanted to get through with 50 votes. Mm -hmm. And we heard a lot of whining. We heard a lot of op-eds. We heard a lot of comments from people like Joe Manchin. Oh, inflation's too high. We just can't spend anymore. And I don't know. I guess there's some... People who are listening in West Virginia know these people in West Virginia who some for some reason fall for this nonsense over and over again. I doubt there's many in this audience that do it, but they probably know people who are, are conservative and say, well, Joe Manchin's pushing back. He's the Democrat that cares. He's the guy that's going to care about inflation and the economy. <laughs> and it's like, what wound up happening? They still passed two bills. They still got it done. Yep. They didn't care about inflation at all. We still all had to pay the price for that. Yes, some of the bills were slightly smaller than maybe they would have been without his whining and constant op-eds and all the credit he takes for being a maverick. Maybe we saved a couple of dollars. Really? Is that really... Is there any, any real value in that? There's no reason West Virginia has a Democratic senator. That is right. Absolutely right. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's it's as bad as Alaska having a very very uh, irritating Republican uh, senator, <laughs> well, and they now have a Democratic Congresswoman. Oh yeah, right. So it's, it's right equally. But I Jeez. mean, I think even Alaska though has. I don't know. There's some. There's there's something in the water in some places in Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's probably from fracking. Probably. It's probably fracking's fault. Yeah. But like they kind of bend their own way at times. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and West Virginia can as well. They've they've elected far too many Democrats over the years with this sort of like reputational our Democrats are different thing. But like Donald Trump won West Virginia by fifty points. Like there's there's no reason mm. to have a Democratic senator in that state. And by the way, just a quick reminder. We can rectify that situation in 2024. That can happen. This does not have to be reality. Uh, in fact, this would be one you'd really expect Republicans to be able to pick up if they don't completely screw it up. But that was the talk about this election. How many times did we talk, Pat, over the over the past couple of years? Republicans have a great opportunity here, blah, 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 if, if they, they don't, don't screw, screw it up. up. Which and, they managed to do virtually every time. Yes. Here and we they are, and they screwed it, again. it up. <laughs> but I mean... At least we got the house it's, or they got the house. And that's one of the things that's really irritating me right now about the coverage of the election is how Democrats are acting as if they just Huge went victory. to 17 and 0 and won the Super Bowl by 45 points. Yeah. Guys, relax. Yeah. You had control of the government and now you don't. <laughs> right. That is not. I understand you think you outperformed everybody's expectations in the last two weeks. And I'll grant you that that is what occurred. You underperformed everybody's expectations from the summer. So I don't know why you're that thrilled about it. But okay, you you did win a couple seats that were that were border. They won a lot of close races. They The house is closer than people expected. There's something to take from that, right? You might be encouraged by been happy about it. But they lost the house. They, yeah. they had unified yeah. control of the government. And Nancy and Pelosi said she expected, she completely expected to maintain control in the house. She did. 
And you didn't. And now she's gone. So that's a loss. And, that's a loss. And like, look, a 51 seat majority is not something that Repub- uh, Democrats have bragged about this century or even last century. Right. Like this. Mm-hmm. They used they were used to getting. Remember, Barack Obama got Obamacare through with 60 senators, which eventually fell to 59. So they had to pass. They had to, you know, Jeez, pole vault right. the bill through. Uh, they lost a seat in Massachusetts. That bill was so popular. But, you know, Scott Brown came uh, in after that. But they had 60 seats. They didn't have to listen at right. all. And now they're bragging about 51. <laughs> they're bragging about losing the House. Bragging about losing. <laughs> I mean, this is like yeah. the Beto O'Rourke approach to politics. And acting as if it was a catastrophe right. for Republicans. It wasn't. It, it look, wasn't. We, we have to step back and say, yeah, that's true. look, it's it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. and here's the one real positive i think it, you know i think it was van jones of all people who made this point last night and it, and he's getting beat up by the left over it but he's right the republicans are going to look hopefully at themselves and at least take a moment to say what did we do wrong how did this get screwed up what do we need to do next time what candidates can we recruit holy crap what we need to do more we've gone into 2024 republicans have the advantage in 2024 in the senate and they can pick up seats Democrats seem to be in the state where like, wow, this all worked. The CRT thing worked. Wow. Mm. You know, hey, let's mm-hmm. just keep, uh, you know, grooming kids into all sorts of weird sexual behavior in middle school. <laughs> that's how, that's how people seem to like it. And they're not going to examine their approach at all. True. And that's and a really good thing for Republicans. to the advantage of Republicans. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Again, they could easily screw it all up. Oh, yeah. They're good at this. 888-727-BECK. All right, um, let me tell you about Patriot Mobile. Man, I love Patriot Mobile. Uh, there's no free lunch in this world, of course. Companies will try to sell you on some you know, crazy idea, but most of them are not realistic. Now, with some of the big mobile companies, you'll see offers for things like free phones. Meanwhile, they're locking you into long-term contracts and building the price of the phone into your bill with hidden fees. Then there are companies like Patriot Mobile who won't make uh, you a promise they're not going to keep. They can show you how to get that same iPhone interest-free without the games, with no contract. Why? Because they're honest and they do honorable business that I, I know everybody here at The Blaze is proud to partner with. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They stand up for your values and give you great service and great phones and all the technology you need. Here's their guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch to either of the three major carriers they provide for free. Go to patriotmobile.com slash back or call their 100% U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code BECK. If you're fed up with woke companies that don't care about your values or your country, support a company that does. patriotmobile.com slash BECK or call 972-PATRIOT. The Grind Back Program. As Pat and Stu for Glenn today, triple eight seven two seven B E C K. So you guys, uh, you and Glenn talked about the Brunson Adams we Supreme did. Court case yesterday a little bit. Talked about it um, a little bit yesterday. Yeah, a lot of people are very excited about it because um, they believe that since Congress didn't do their job in investigating the twenty twenty election, at least this is my understanding of it. So they didn't they didn't fulfill their oath. So 377 
representatives could be removed from office, including uh, the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States. That kind of seems unlikely to me. Seems like a bit of a long shot. And it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. there's a mechanism to do that, really. Yeah, and you know. Through a lawsuit. A lot of hurdles to get over here. Honestly, I said to Glenn, I was like, you know, like, it's interesting because it is kind of like burning up the mm-hmm. online world right now. Talk about yeah, this. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and so it's interesting to kind of get familiar with it. If the Supreme Court picks it up, then you're going to have a, a deeper conversation. I don't know that you need to go crazy about talking about it at this exact moment. Like if once once we I hear, I thought they already had picked it up. When, once it's we not hear official. oral arguments, then yeah. we can kind of like you know, the, mm. the, the, you can believe it's a little bit further along. I will say, you know, there's a lot of hurdles, right? Like yeah. it's based on this idea that if there's a certain amount of uh, desire or uh, claim of um, uh, of a threat to the Constitution that you have to investigate it, but there's no clear hurdle as to what that amount would be. Uh, you know, I guess the idea is that some some voters or some rep- representatives voted for an investigation, so therefore that's enough interest. Of course, like you know, then you could have this happening all the time, right? Like every mm-hmm. Democrat could vote. F- you know, you could get 50 Democrats to come together to vote for some crazy investigation, and 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 we'd have to to do this each time. And the idea that like even if all of there's several other hurdles. We don't need to get into the whole thing. Uh, several other very difficult hurdles for for any of this to actually be reality. But even if it was, like, would it be a good idea? Like, think of the the concept of throwing out all these people. Uh-huh. A lot of them we can't stand. So, like, we're all like, yeah, throw the bums out. But, like, the Supreme <laughs> Court is kind of in our favor right now. Uh-huh. Which is great. When, when it's not, how does this look? When, when Katanji Brown-Jackson is like it, the six out of the nine justices how does that feel then like there i mean it just doesn't feel like a good road for us to go down uh but that's that's the long yeah. and the short of it interesting though interesting I, i'm surprised that they haven't been thrown out just based on standing that's what they usually do yeah the glenn back program